0: Motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that,
1: baby. I'm not the zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Decade Project, the one heat minute productions, Patreon exclusive, at least to start with, podcast that we do examining films from a decade ago. We are wrapping up 2013 very, very briskly. So if you're listening to this in 2013, thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for um, being a patron with us. You help immensely and, uh, and get on the discord and chat to us because that's where the real ones are. Thank you so much, um, for, for listening. If you're listening to this on the main feed, this is what happens at the end of every year, as we take a little bit of a break to refresh and recharge, we put this. Corner coupia of great guests and amazing films out to you. And, uh, if you're listening to this in 2024 on the main feed hidden in the Patreon is all of our stuff that we're talking about for 2014. But this is one of the last ones of 2014. My guest is a fantastic podcaster and video editor from the Mixed Reviews podcast. And we met doing a cinephile game night, as is such a great connecting point for geeks (laughs) and nerds. Um, Bless bless their hearts for connecting us. It is the one and only Gavin Mevius. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me. And this film is one that you just went, blah. You just blurted it out. Has someone taken it? I go, no, we haven't. And this is a great film. What is the film we're talking about today on The Decade Project?
0: We're talking about Richard Linklater's capping of the Before Trilogy, Before Midnight.
2: Oh, we said we were going to stop. They wanted to see the ruins. Yeah, but should we wake him up? Uh, You
1: know what let's do? On our way back to the airport, we can catch him. Hmm? You know we won't. Yeah, probably
2: not. And how did you two meet?
1: We met about 18 years ago. We kind of
0: sort of fell in love and a decade later we ran
1: into each other. No, no, no. You wrote
2: a book and I read about it and went to look for it. Oh, it's pretty romantic. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? Of course. This place is so full of thousands of years of myth and tragedy and I thought something tragic was going to happen. Still there. Still there. Gone. You never stop ogling girls, I don't
1: argue girls. I make love to them
2: with my eyes. Oh, wow. I'm stuck with an American teenager. I feel close to you. Yeah. But sometimes, I don't know, I feel like you're breathing helium and I'm breathing oxygen. What makes you say that? I wanted you to say something romantic in your okay?
1: okay? You are the mayor of Crazy Town. Do you know that? You are.
2: This is how people start breaking
1: up. Oh my God! I assure you, that guy you vaguely remember—the sweet, romantic one that you met on the train—that is me. Why am I finding myself yes. so attracted Let me just to it. this
2: woman?
1: For real. <laughs> Gavin, this film, ten years. Holy shit! And yeah, it that's been an,
0: wild. I don't like that. I don't like it. It's
1: disgusting, actually. It's like, oh, there's a photo. There's a photo. Gavin can see this. Um, there's a photo of me holding my kids just behind me. Like There's one of like my, my son when he was young enough to fit in like a baby Bjorn and his sister on my back. And I'm like, man, remember when I didn't have this much gray hair? Wasn't that nice? <laughs> um, and it reminds me very much of this movie. Like 10 years ago, so crazily excited that there was going to be another before movie. And there's no way at that time, 10 years ago, personally, that I feel that I could have the same connection with it. Now I like watching it now, again, it is amazing, but tell me why you chose it for, for the decade project, as sickening as the prospect that it's a decade old is, you know,
0: um, (laughs) I just remember. uh, So I got to see it uh, back when I was like one of the privileged few. I used to, uh, pretend to be a film critic before my it's editing it. career oh yeah well, that's, <laughs> you know sometimes that happens and then you find a different path and uh but uh then my editing career took off so that I was just like oh I guess I'm not doing this anymore but uh at the time I, I was at the press screening at the Tribeca Film Festival Unreal. and I remember being so excited because it was um it felt like it it just I mean I knew that there were reports that they were making it but it felt literally like it just sort of appeared like Richard Linklater rolled up and was just like uh, here's here's my next before movie enjoy and it was like what where did this come from <laughs> um I've, I've always been a huge fan of the first two I think the second movie is maybe one of the most perfect movies ever made yeah and yeah so I I just remembered that year seeing it seeing it at that press screening weeping and I know I I will not name them but I was sitting next to like a prominent film critic and he literally must have been like what is wrong with this guy like, <laughs> like just openly weeping Um, but yeah I just think it's such a lovely movie it feels so spontaneous even though as it turns out it's not it's like scripted to a hilt and like there, uh, you know it's so rigorously planned but it feels so lived in and so honest and obviously Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are amazing and this one you know, slightly different than the other two, though the, the first one has other people in it. Uh this one you you spend a lot of time with other people that are not them. Yes. I mean that's all through Ethan Hawk and Julie Delpy's eyes, but I don't know. I i think this one has such an interesting layer of that. I will say re-watching it now uh and and since that time I've I've since completely changed my life. i am in a, a career i'm much happier with i came out (laughs) so like that's that was a big thing i will say there's there is a slight disconcerting like women are like this and men are like this (laughs) at at points during it um that might just be me but uh but yeah it's uh, I I truly that that's
1: that's that's couple shit that's yeah that's that's you know i have a sick love of the authenticity of couples arguments. And one of my favorite ones, I think it actually forged my friendship with a really great Bostonian film critic, Sean Burns, which is when I said, he's like, you know, isn't it always pretty trite in Heat how Diane Venora's character does that big speech, you know, you're just, you know, sifting through the detritus of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, man, that's, that's a (laughs) wife who's been standing doing the dishes late at night, putting in a whole meal that someone hasn't eaten because he's never come home, rehearsing the perfect thing to eviscerate him. And it comes off as rehearsed, but I go, but the intention is that it is rehearsed. You are waiting for the perfect thing to say to your partner that you're having trouble with. And all of us can relate to some point in our lives, having a partner that you are having a shit time with and rehearsing all the things that you want to say and have the moment to say them and be right on point to deliver all of those things. And I think that that's what happens is like this couple, are fighting with some real shit about like, you know what, there is some realness there about like, at the end of the day, like mums do get like, yeah, guys are the, the worst, like mums do cop it. Like <laughs> they think about that stuff, you know, like me, even me on a small scale and I hope that I'm a great dad, but like, you know. I'm the one who goes off and wakes up early in the morning and does a podcast or so goes off and, you know, stays up late at night working on the creative things and the, you know, and, and my kids are, are here and obviously I wouldn't be able to do what I do um, creatively if I wasn't if I didn't have a partner. And so th- it is a real struggle. So I, I, when I see those arguments, I'm like, this is them doing the rote argument and he's <laughs> always got the parry and she's got the parry back. Cause it's like, this is right. an argument that is played out many times, you yeah, know, like
0: I like that you bring up that there is like a, a rehearse quality to it. One of my favorite moments comes really towards the end where she's like, oh, you expect me to give up my dream job. And he's like, your dream job a few minutes ago, (laughs) it was just a job. And then now it's a dream. But like, those are things you think about when when you're in a relationship, you're like, how is this going to affect the person that I love? And how is it going to affect me? And like, when do I, when do I think about myself and when do I think about us as a a unit? You A hundred
1: percent. And, and, and there are times where you're like, I'm doing a job that I love way more than another job. And you're like, it doesn't work for the family. It's yeah. adding more stress. And you're like, okay, that can't happen. Like it's done. It's okay. Like if you want the family to work and it becomes about you and the kids and those things, it's great. So at the time this had an amazing reception, you know, like, I, I mean, I know we don't, we don't necessarily prescribe to um, you know, rotten tomatoes as a, as, as a thing. But I think Metacritic is super useful because it really captures the top, 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 film critics that we have working today and like if you even just look at the meta score I'm, I'm i'm talking about some folks that i know here who are just unbelievable writers josh rothkoff like 100 out of 100 you know like justin chang 100 out of 100 when he was still writing for variety you've got um david edelstein who was writing at new york magazine gave it 80 out of 100 uh, you know owen the weekly gave it 100 out of 100 stephanie zacharek when the voice still existed wrote about it you know like it's 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 it, this had an amazing metacritic score of like 90 and i think that yeah, like 90 96 is moonlight kind of stuff <laughs> like that's like when there it's so freaking resounding that it's it's unbelievable so it had an amazing reception and for the third movie in a series of anything to have that level of reception right. it's kind of crazy
0: yeah because usually the third is the curse in a trilogy it seems <laughs> yeah. usually the the third is the one that people are like i don't i don't know about this one but i you know I think obviously these movies specifically are very different than a lot. You know, it's not like, it's not like the third Captain Blastoff movie. Captain (laughs) Blastoff versus, you know. uh, And so you kind of know what you're going to expect going in. You're expecting these like real human stories, this real love story between these two people. And, and like I said, up the top, like, I just think I, I, who could do it better than these two? Like, who could do it better than Ethan Hawke and Julie Delp? I'm Julie Delpy, like, just unsung, like, just is well, amazing.
1: And it's all the. I think if we're talking about starting to pivot into how these films are viewed, and they were even viewed then, is when they were making this, it was so critically important for the writing credits to finally truly yeah. reflect the contribution of julie delpy crafting her character ethan Hawke crafting his character and Linklater structuring and providing the scaffolds but them to paint them out because like i think when we look back now there's been some great interviews with ethan Hawke about this movie talking about like he's talking to his son um uh, hank in the movie and he's like that's me talking to my like that's me talking to my hawk me going off on a new relationship me having that and having a talk with Mario about how great she is as a kid and like not being and knowing that I was failing and 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 having those things and so as Jesse he's actually pouring Ethan Hawke through Jesse in a way that's like this is no longer a character this is such a weird blur between life and how he's like sort of exercising his own personal demons and Julie Delpy too like that role of men and women is as much for me when I watch it again, as like a commentary on like women being relegated as like creative people to the sidelines, even though she's like, I'm the fucking author here. Don't use my shit. Like that's that line when she says it towards the end of the movie, don't write about what I fucking say in your books. Right. And he's like, you married a writer. This is what I do. That feels to me like. She's the author of who she is and don't right. use my stuff because it's me that you're taking, you're taking my essence. And I feel like what we learned since then was like before sunset, um, uh, before sunrise and before sunset was such Julie Delpy creatively pouring herself through that character to make her so perfect that that's why Celine resonates because it's like Julie Delpy, you know, like a full dose of Julie Delpy, if you like.
0: And that's actually one of the things I really love about this film that that doesn't really obviously can't happen in uh, Before Sunrise and then in Before Sunset, like the the book is so new. But in this movie, she's lived for at least nine years or more as as this fictional character that yes. Hawk has written about. And <laughs> and so I, I love that interaction when they go to the hotel and the woman's like, can you sign this book? And she's like, that she's Magdalene's not me. I'm not Magdalene. Like that's a, that's a character in a book. I'm a real person. And, and, Ethan Hawke makes her sign it. He's like she'll <laughs> she'll be happy to like. But I but I love that idea that she's like I'm not a I'm not a fictional person. I'm I'm a real person. I'm living, breathing. I have thoughts. I have wants. I have needs. And sometimes I look at you and I think you just think I'm that person in that book that you wrote or the two books that you wrote.
1: Yeah, it's God. That that scene is so grueling and fantastic. And <laughs> can I just say, like, from a practical thing of like. A wife arguing, like starting to fool around with her husband and then beginning an argument topless (laughs) is just like, it's the best touch. Like it's not sexual. Like, I mean, it's nice and sexual. It's great. They've got amazing chemistry, but then them having an argument while she's like topless and half dressing herself and then undressing and then taking off her duds. And then I'm like, that's a, that's a married people fight. Like something can turn, uh, cause something can turn a romantic liaison (laughs) into an (laughs) argument really quick. So it's, it's really funny how that that and and, you know a kid calling to interrupt or something like that is is you know a kid interrupting or waking up in the middle of the night like that can turn something it's all all right well all of the amorous you know (laughs) like feelings just get everything gets shut the garage door gets shut and it's like okay now now we're dad and mom again and this is what it is
0: and as an editor and i know this is like kind of an impersonal feeling thing but as an editor I sit there and think like well this is a 15 minute chunk of this movie and there's this many cuts that are occurring during this scene which means they're you know they're least this many takes and I know they shot this movie over the 15 day period like and that's where my brain goes on just like she must have been topless in that hotel room for like <laughs> days and and it just feels so natural and so real and yeah and I'm just like wow. Good for her, you know, good for her for pulling yeah.
1: it off. Yeah, like it's hard. It's a hard thing to pull off, and it's really funny. Um, that that, like the pièce de résistance, almost of the entire movie, is a scene where she's in various stages of dresses, arguing with Ethan Orca. Like it's yeah. not amorous. It's like there's three seconds of like beautiful amorous, soft touching, kissing, yeah. nice, like great chemistry, and then there's just like arguing with each other in various stages of undress. <laughs> it's so good. It's like it 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 hits home so well. Um, but you know. I love what you said before. It's like, we have to talk a little bit about Richard Linklater because it felt like this was the period where, you know, and we were kind of gearing up for it with boyhood was like, who the fuck knows what Richard Linklater is up to until his latest movie is literally in yeah. cinemas. Like, I love that about him. What a character that he just has his kind of <laughs> Austin, you know, Texan kind of approach where he's just like, I'm making stuff slightly out outside of Hollywood. I'm going to make some stuff. I'm going to do some stuff out of here. And, and his peer group admire him deeply for his, you know, insane off the beaten track choices. Um, And, and I I think this, you know, it's pretty magical that they were able to do this. And then it was only when they, when this movie just appeared, because before sunrise and sunset felt so, I don't know, circular and closed that when it appeared people like, Oh, is there ever going to be a fourth one? You know, is there ever going to be something like that? And it's like, well, maybe, but also if they don't want to no. like, who cares? Right. and knowing his style, he'd be like, "I want every one of those same actors who is in this movie to all come back." Um, and yeah, it's just the prop. Some of them probably aren't even acting anymore. It's like one of those strange things that is only him.
0: Well, that's definitely one of the things that, like, selfishly, you know, I could take one of these every nine years. Uh, uh, but yes, hundred uh, percent. But like, if they don't want it, like the the magic comes from that synergy of the 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 sort of trinity of all three of them working together in harmony and that you know i think it's smart of them to to you know come back together every now and then and be like okay well we don't have an idea for it you know i heard rumors (laughs) i'd heard rumors the original concept of this or what ethan hawk wanted for the original concept of this movie was it was just going to almost be a day in the life and it was going to be like them in a city and like picking up the kids from soccer practice and bringing them to school and, and then them not even getting really to have that time together until like 10 or 11 p.m. which is yeah. why it was before midnight and obviously I really love the movie in the incarnation that we got but it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah I don't I don't know how I would have received that version of the
1: film <laughs> no it would have been really you know it's I think it's so good to set the scene, right? Because after nine years, it's really important to sort of set the context. And then once they go off to the hotel, that's where really the movie that we know begins. It's like this, we're setting you up for this and we have to build all the context and we have to build the baggage and we have to lay it out, lay it all out on the line. And we have to have all these conversations and we have to see our seat, be ready for the contradictions of the great scene from both of them you know, I don't want to move to Chicago earlier on. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to take this crap job. I don't know. And then like, <laughs> it's my dream job. It's like, no, I do want to move to Chicago. And it's, it's all those things that, um, about how people know each other. It's like, I know what you're going to say 10 hours before you realize that you're going to say it. Like, that's such right. a a great married couple thing. I I can't believe they shot this in 15 days. Like I can, Wild. but it's, it's, it's it's effortless. Like you talked about in the editing, the editing is effortless. Everything's effortless. The continuity is their mood tone, tonally pitch perfect. I guess probably because these characters at this point of their second skin and they have poured so much of themselves into them. It's very easy, but yeah, like a 15 day shoot, these big actors, like it was, it was kind of incredible.
0: And And it's hard too, because like I said, this one has more characters than they, I mean, once again, the first movie, they do run into people. There's that great moment in the first film when they run into the German tourists and they're like, do you speak English? And they're like, well, why don't you speak German? So that's <laughs> one of my favorite things, just assuming everybody speaks English. But uh, but in this, they have these side characters that are literally in the first half of the film. Like they yeah. don't leave for the, um, for the hotel until about 40 minutes in. Yes. And so you have these other characters and they feel the same they you know like you you get the there's like a a Grecian man who's kind of a pig and his wife who like kind of loves it and then <laughs> you, then you have the man that runs the 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 writer's retreat well, it's, it's it's funny because it's not really a writer's retreat he invited Ethan Hawke to his house but like but essentially a writer's retreat um and you have his grandson and his newish girlfriend. And also what I think is really funny is uh, how quickly times change. They kept talking about how they talk on Skype. And I was like, that would be zoom now. That would be
1: zoom right now. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like Skype. Who does that? (laughs) Low Uh, Skype. (laughs) Um, So old. And then there's, and then there's that woman who like, you see her in the dinner scene but she seemingly comes from nowhere with that beautiful story about losing her husband and yeah. and lose and not just losing him once but losing him slowly over time and and feeling those pieces of him that she cherished so well fading um and and all of those things really work and yeah they, I mean I think in a, in a lesser hand they could seem kind of cliche because it is like the it's young love and then it's like lived in love but it's still flirty and then there's Celine and Jesse and they're they're kind of in the later stages and then there's the two older people who have lost their loves
1: but the it's and then so... there's the characters of Celine and Jesse that the other people around the table refer to like yes. oh then he wrote a book about fucking his wife for three days yes. you know and yeah. then, like, and she's like that, blah, 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 blah. like she's like getting <laughs> getting annoyed with him being very dismissive. You know, it's 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 very fun because then there's this, you know, the elephant in the room is this other couple, this imaginary, yeah, but real couple that are right there at the table.
0: And it's and it's just masterfully played and planned out, and and yeah i think you're right it's it is the the specter of of this fictional selena and jesse uh, <laughs> do we do we ever learn what jesse's uh fake character name is because we know hers is can... hers is magdalene
1: is it in the previous but... movie i haven't i, I didn't remember. watch i didn't i can't remember yeah. either.
0: yeah funny yeah I it's funny I had, I had not thought about that until right now but yeah
1: all right let's take a quick break and then when we come back i want to talk to you gavin about when this movie series seem to leap from the fringes of culture to a dominant canonical iconic trilogy in cinema all right welcome back gavin and i have just been talking about everything before midnight richard Linklater's amazing 2013 movie starring ethan hawkins jesse and julie delpia celine back together in 2013 nine years after before sunrise so where we left off i this movie comes out everyone is so thrilled to see it it gets amazing reviews it has aged beautifully because finally you know, some of the kind of like grubby, independent, Weinstein era stuff around Julie Delpy as an actor in Hollywood and, you know, being diminished as this sort of side player and having history overruled that she was actually a key contributor to the first films has now kind of been restored. We've got them back together. She's got a huge writing credit. This movie, you know, rightfully so gives her all of that. But what I wanted to ask uh, Gavin, and I think where we'll come back to is, how did this become like now the before trilogy? Like it, it, it really jumped. Uh, and I think that criterion has a huge role to play in this as well, but it, it became this thing where it just suddenly became the before trilogy. Like there was the, the before sunrise and sunset, and then it's now the before trilogy. And it feels like between now, between the time it was released and now it is now like a canonical cinematic text and and yeah. i, I want to know if like did you did you sense that coming cuz for me it kind of felt around the time of the criterion um box set that came out um but it kind of happened a little earlier it's, it's it's weird and i can't track exactly when it like leaped into before trilogy that's the time
0: yeah i don't i i truly don't know uh when that actually occurred because i feel very similar to you cuz i remember uh when before uh, sunset came out on dvd i had like picked it up used at a um uh video rental store
1: i used still... to do that oh my god oh yeah can we just for a second reminisce <laughs> about how great the bargain bin at old yeah. video rental stores were i picked up like old they the first things that would go is like indie cinema so like yeah so many park chain works like before movies <laughs> like whatever like it's just like oh my god like five bucks done thank you very much yeah. you go home with like a pile like, ten, I'll take 10. He's a 50. Thank you very much. Um, Love that. I still, I think I still have an old, I had my old boy for the longest time until recently where like we started getting some great, you know, remasters on Blu-ray and 4K and things like that started making their way. But yeah, I love that. But yeah, before you picked up at the video store, X-Rental.
0: I'm so, I, I get so upset when those DVDs don't play or don't look as good because I still have like an old H <laughs> box set that I... Anyways, I digress. Yeah, I remember picking it up because I, I had friends at college who had never seen um, the first movie. And I had owned the first movie and I was like, you need to see this. And actually, funny enough, and I, I guess I'd forgotten about this until we just started talking about it. Um, I had only seen the first movie because my dad had taped it off of HBO and he'd caught it at like um, like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. one night and started taping it. And he's like, you need to see this movie. It's a movie where it's just two people wandering around Europe talking and i was like sure what sure whatever dad you and your <laughs> fancy old man movies and i watched it and I, I i loved it and i i knew i needed to introduce my friends in college to it but none of them had ever heard of before sunrise and b- the idea of this before sunset was also kind of a shrug from them and so like obviously when i saw before midnight in a in a room full of critics like they were all excited for it but i still think there were i still think outside of that room if you were like hey there's a new before movie it's, be it's like, not what like are Fu- you talking about it's not
1: like furiosa like yeah, people exactly. aren't going like <laughs> furiosa more mad max <laughs> right Like. No one's like that excited like we are today. We're recording it on the day that the new Furiosa trailer has just dropped, which, we're, you know, Dr. George, we're always excited about what Dr. George is doing.
0: I mean, I do love that scene where Selene and Jesse steal a car and go across the Australian <laughs> desert. It's really amazing. <laughs> unexpected. You're just like Linklater. You're a mad
1: genius. You're a mad genius, um, Linklater. How did they find that petrol tanker out there in the wilderness? <laughs> um, but, you know, good, good, good stuff.
0: But, but yeah, I have no, I have no idea when it crossover and I do think that it is um, I, d- I don't want to give credit to marketing, but I do think that is definitely part of it. That, that idea of like selling it as the trilogy, as you know, this, this thing that's meant to be seen together. And that still happens here in the U.S. I know um, our good friend, Connor O'Donnell and his wife just over the weekend got to see all three movies um, at the uh, museum of the moving image. So like, it's right. still like a really impressive marketing tool um and obviously like i do think they're meant to be seen together but it is but it is an odd thing to like think think about like when did that cross over into popular culture that they were that it's like sort of the definitive the definitive trilogy of of the love between these two people
1: yeah it's i think i think we're really lucky that it's kind of you know very recently in a in a kind of like shocking turn of events for people who have been proclaiming the death of physical media Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer on 4K has basically sold out internationally yeah around the world um I couldn't get it on Amazon. I actually, thankfully, my wife was out doing some early Christmas shopping for our family. And I'm like, I can't find this anywhere online. If you go into the store and there's a copy, <laughs> I need you to get it. Like I'd already done the buy it on high definition on Apple. Like I'm going to watch Um, what's one of those ones that you buy. But it feels like that sold out. And then Criterion has kind of in the last few years, I'm trying to think of like the, the movies that came out again that had a whole new life and really entered the cinematic canon in a huge way. One of them I think is, um, Bill Dukes deep cover that like people had kind of said was awesome for a long time. And then it got this revitalized impression of it that had landed there. And you get the before trilogy, is another one that like, Oh, people knew this movie. It was kind of readily available, but like it got anointed, and you're like, "Oh, this is this is fantastic." And but yeah, it it's really hard to say like when those ones pop up. Like you, they're completely unpredictable, and part of it, as you said, is like marketing. Yeah, cool, great, it's being marketed brilliantly. Right, but right. but it's but that's actually the great fringe benefit of some of these providers because they can go, you know, this movie's actually awesome. You know, this is actually great, and it needs to be reappraised, or or it needs to be considered as how impactful and huge it is and maybe what its influence is beyond because, you know, I, I I remember probably like you, you watch a whole bunch of different stuff related to movies. And I remember people talking to Linklater on one of those directors roundtables that either the Hollywood reporter does or variety. And they were like, they were gushing at him about boyhood, but like a couple of the filmmakers were mentioning the before series, like, Oh, you know, like you being able to shoot in this amount of time and prepare an entire film and then bring it bring it to market is miraculous like his style still has that indie like we're shooting in 2 weeks and this is what's happening sort of style
0: yeah it i i i, I don't know how he does it <laughs> it is it is like a really fascinating magic trick it's uh i i was the editor for the New York Film Festival this year so i got to do all all their talkbacks and everything so even for some of the films i didn't get a chance to see i got to listen to Uh, some great content they actually did do a um a talk back this year with the the woman who edits uh, a lot of Richard Linklater's films and she just did his new film Hitman and it was also with uh his editor I mean it was also with the editor of All the Strangers and it was funny listening to her talk about how it's it's also planned like you don't sort of really expect it to um to be with him because everybody thinks he has you know the the slacker repu- uh, reputation and whatnot because of his films uh sandra adair by the way i don't i don't want to not credit her uh she seems really fascinating and 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 a really great um person to listen to so if you want to go find that
1: uh it's kind of she's like choose. she sounds like the inverse Thelma uh film yeah. of like well marty brings me like four thousand years of footage right. and we right. build and we rebuild it frame by frame until we get (laughs) what you see um so yeah
0: and it's interesting because i think i think it's like almost an impossible feat to enter into the idea of of like something seemingly so planned has a very casual feel to it yes it it doesn't that doesn't always work you know uh, a lot of films you'll see that are, are like really intricately planned feel that way <laughs> when it, when you get to that's, that's, you know, David Fincher's films feel like everything clicks in like in, in one specific way.
1: Agon- and, uh, agonizingly so it's yes. like Lego. It's like, yeah. I I'm not a Lego Were you a Lego kid?
0: Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. I, I was saw not a toys.
1: All... No, I saw, you, I, saw you, I saw you. I was not a Lego kid, but I was a toy kid. Like, you know, some action figures and things like that. My son, <laughs> and daughter a little. And so like Lego is now in our house. And my son got this gigantic Ghostbusters Ecto-1 and he's like, dad, oh let's build it together. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And he sits there. He's five. He sits there for 30 seconds. And then he's like, cool. <laughs> and he's out. And then he's like the foreman at a work site. He's like, "Hey, on, dad. How's that going? Are You are uh, nearly done for me to play with it. And I'm like, dude, it's, it takes time. Like
0: Especially something like that. That's probably like a thousand pieces. It was
1: so many (laughs) pieces. (laughs) It was so many, it took me so long. I was like, I could have watched three movies in the time that it took me to like, put this thing agonizingly together. But it's, it's one of those things where, where we're talking about with Linklater is that, You assume because of everything that you're taught in all of the other mainstream filmmaking about how people get these amazing, natural, almost near improvisational, perfectly calibrated conversations. You're like, surely they shot this for days and days and days. And you're right with a centerpiece like that. They probably shot it over multiple nights, but it's like his thing is effortlessness, you know, gracefully walking, noticing goats, who knows what take that was on. And they're walking for that beautiful continuity of conversation. They finish 15 minutes of recording. They park it. They walk back to the beginning. They do it again. Do they get the goats the next time? Maybe not. They keep it from the previous take, but that effortless stitching is so perfect that you're like, man, like, I don't understand how they do it, but it's, it's this, it's the seams rather than clicking in like Lego that's so perfect that everything is calibrated. It's like, it's all, it becomes smooth. It's like this smooth thing that you can't see where the joints are. And that's another level of skill, I think.
0: And and obviously like it it also comes down to the players in your piece. And I know I keep yeah. singing their praises, but this time I notice during that long take as they're walking from, you know, ruin to ruin to the, I mean, really there is like an unbroken 15 minute shot that occurs <laughs> yeah. until they get to a church and I noticed this time as they're walking at one point, Ethan Hawk like nodded to one of the actors passing him. Yeah. And I was just like, what a nice, like what a nice little thing that he just put in there. And, <laughs> you know, cl- it, it clearly works for the scene. And, and I think it works for Jesse as a character because Jesse's kind of a, he's a, he's a showman's not the right word because that implies that he's like fake, but he, he's not fake, but he's, He's a friendly chap. And so I I enjoyed that during that long take, but I was thinking like, I wonder if he did that every take. Cause I've probably not.
1: I also love how bad Jesse's new books sound. Like I really love, they sound awful. (laughs)
0: It it sounds so bad. He's like, I'm going to write what I want to write. And it's like, are you sure you want to write that?
1: (laughs) Doesn't sound, doesn't sound like it's you. Um, Yeah that's so funny uh yeah it's this is a really special series and this is a really special movie and i think that i think the thing that if we get to like kind of what we learn out of this is there is such an unheralded skill that some of these indie and 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 linklater is doing it at a level that is extremely hard to replicate, it's like, I feel like Richard Linklater needs to just have a certain amount of money to go make incredibly peculiarly structured, small scale movies at his pace with great actors that are super collaborators in with him. Because I feel like any step closer, probably save for like School of Rock, any step closer that Richard Linklater gets to mainstream filmmaking, it seems to take away something so special to his essence yeah. for me, like nothing ever hits. Like, I know he's got an amazing career. Like obviously, you know, we, we talked briefly about slacker. He's got the before trilogy that is in um, that is in his uh, entire body of work. We've got scanner darkly and waking life. I actually love waking life probably even more because it's much more, you know, it's, it's kind of like much more cerebral and ethereal and has less has no, no uh, not wedded to telling you, a continuous story it's like a series right. of vignettes and then you get boyhood which is unbelievable comes next year something definitely will be on the cards to talk about for next year is like this thing that he filmed over 12 years with ethan Hawke and a whole bunch of collaborators but it's like it's pretty incredible to think that as he steps in like you know last flag flying kind of stuff like it it, yeah. it never seems to hit it's it's just that little bit too commercial it's that little bit something and whereas you know while he's staying in the bernie era like that's where it's great and and he's he sort of stays there so i don't know what it is but it's like almost like the further he stays out of hollywood quote-unquote hollywood the better it is for his filmmaking i feel like it's like that one step removed of too much interference and 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 compromising of a vision that just never nails it as much as like his independent stuff
0: so you're saying you don't want him to remake any of the Bad News Bears sequels? I really like do New not. Bad News Bears goes to Tokyo? No, I, I do him?
1: not want... I mean, Bad News Bears goes to Tokyo, one of the worst movies of all time. <laughs> and I saw it this year. I saw it wow. this year uh, for, imprint, for our Imprint Companion podcast. I've watched it this year and it's not good. It's really bad. Um, I don't know. I would like him to stay very much in that wheelhouse, like making these little movies with key collaborators. Yeah. You know, even Apollo Ten and a Half was so fun. Like that was a really fun movie.
0: When you were talking about films, films that just sort of appeared out of nowhere, that was another one that when that showed up last year on Netflix, I was like, "Huh? When did when did this happen? <laughs> when, are we, when did?" No one was going to tell me we're getting another rotoscope Richard Linklater film.
1: And no one was going to tell me that Glenn Powell and Richard Linklater are like working together now, like in a big way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so funny at the New York Film Festival. I didn't get uh, to see
1: Hitman yet. You've seen Hitman, right?
0: I've not seen it yet. I want to see it. uh, But because it was during the strike, Glenn Powell couldn't be there. But his family kept showing up to the screenings, and they had like little placards with his face on them. Oh, my God. And I was just like, you know what? This really endears me to Glenn
1: Powell. Love Glenn Powell. Looking forward to seeing Hitman a lot. Cause I'm one of those ones who's like, I didn't feel much in David Finch's The Killer. And I know as the guy who did Zodiac Chronicle, people are like, you don't like this movie. I'm like, the Tilda Swinton scene, (laughs) the Tilda Swinton scene is so outlandishly fantastic that I wanted more of the movie to feel like that. Yeah. Um, you. so yeah, I'm, I'm not quite there, but no, it's, so it's, yeah, I, I, I think that's what we've learned is like, I, I just want Richard Linklater to keep doing this. Like if his career is, I don't know what he's doing. And then a movie appears, that is the best possible outcome in my mind for his incredible work, because it's like, just let him do him. I don't want to know. Um, he reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Jeff Nichols who did mud. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Whose who's newest film just got dumped and then re picked up because yes, didn't want it anymore.
1: The Bike Riders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know. You've got Tom Hardy doing a li- Like, I, my, my great co host on Miami Nice, Katie Walsh is like, Tom Hardy's doing a silly little voice. Yeah. Austin Butler's in it. What are we doing? Like, yeah. what are we doing, guys? Like, and, ha- and,
0: and isn't Jodie Comer in Jody it? Jodie Comer's Do in it. Accent?
1: Yeah. Doing a funny Come little on. accent. I mean, yeah. this is for us. This is for us, guys. What yeah. are we talking about?
0: And Disney's like, no, we can't have that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool. Fine, Disney, whatever. Um, yeah. But it's like, yeah, like uh, Jeff Nichols, like you kind of never really know what he's up to. And then bang, there's something you're like, oh, Absolutely. shit. Yes, I'm in. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's really what we've learned. Look, it has been such a treat talking to you so overdue please promise me that you think of some other films for us to talk about in 2014. And I've got some other projects, which I will (laughs) tell you about that are on the bubble that I'd love to talk to you again. But if you guys haven't, please go and, um, and seek out, I'll, I'll link all the stuff in our Patreon. If you're listening on our main feed, please check out the notes to find mixed reviews. Um, Gavin uh, um, and your co-host just did an episode with Maria Lewis, um, who is family, my bestest bud in the world, um, on slasher stuff for, for her new book. So that was awesome. Um, uh, I can highly recommend that one. But yeah, man, um, is there anything else that you want to plug uh, that you guys are doing or anything special that uh, you want anyone to know about? Because I'm so grateful for your time and just thank you so much for this suggestion because it would have felt like an incomplete look at 20 20- <laughs> 2013 without before midnight.
0: Well, I mean I love talking about uh before midnight. So thank you for having me on. I I I feel honored cuz I know you like to me you're the big leagues. So I'm like Oh, oh stop. Yeah. No, no I really yeah.
1: I I'm 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 just a weird Australian with <laughs> hyper obsessive uh that's... tendencies and 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 if for some reason and I'm so grateful and you know proud and kind of uh, Slawed by it. People really like listening to the crazy stuff that we do.
0: Well, I mean, you're good at it. So that's, <laughs> that's certainly. But that goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, you can find The Mixed Reviews on uh, any social media. We're at The Mixed Reviews on most of them. Sometimes at underscore the underscore mixed underscore reviews uh but uh uh, we we have a christmas episode coming up uh which is not it's so funny i torture louis every year by making him watch horror movies and he tortures me every year by making me watch christmas movies because it's not my thing um and then, and then in January, we're going to do our best of the year, which we always do. So uh, a lot of fun episodes coming up. But yeah, you can you can find us just anywhere. And thank you. Once again, thank you so much. And obviously, outstanding invitation to you as well to come on The Mixed Review. We have to I challenge we have you to, to come up with a subject and uh, come have fun for two hours with us. I would
1: love that. I would love that. Um, I'm going to talk. I'm going to end this, as I sometimes do, teasing that I want to talk to my guest about an upcoming project because... Um, I would love to get Gavin to talk about something in an upcoming project, and then we might be able to use some of that for a great mixed reviews chat. So yeah. guys, thank you so much for listening to the decade project again. Um, it's been a treat and we'll be back soon with more from the decade project on Patreon. Otherwise check out everything we're doing on one hit minute productions. We'll talk to you soon.